0: hello everyone welcome into another episode of the mls bench podcast i am joey with me today as always are andres and matt and we have a massive massive episode today i know i usually say that a lot but it is always true and in this case very much so because a ton of mls action to talk about stemming Basically from a week ago, um, we had the midweek, then we had the uh, weekend games that we're going to touch on, and then obviously, uh, you know, Open Cup Final, we touched on that a bit last week, Orlando versus Sacramento Republic, and, uh, you know, the Cinderella story coming to an end in that one, so, so much to talk about, but as always, we'll hit first on league action. And I think we can start with Minnesota and Dallas. That was basically the first game of the weekend. Uh, Minnesota at home, a team that had been pretty solid all year, had basically retained their playoff spot throughout, um, now sitting fifth. And that is because FC Dallas went into Minnesota, took all three points in convincing style, particularly in the second half. Uh, Three goals um, in, in the second half, I believe. And that puts them currently third in the table and drops Minnesota to fifth. A, a little bit to touch on in this game. Nothing massive in terms of... We we know that Dallas is a really good team. We also know that Minnesota is going to make the playoffs and is going to be fine. But the way in which it happened, Andres, is slightly surprising with Dallas, at least on the scoreboard, you know, I'd say romping Minnesota.
1: Yeah, and it was a like a five-minute period in which everything went down. The game was pretty even throughout most of the first half. Um, and then even even... Going into that second half, it kind of looked like Dallas was struggling for a little bit of ideas for for where the goal was going to come from. And all of a sudden, you know, in a five minute period, it just was back to back to back. Um, and Minnesota was kind of shell shocked. Um, and I think they didn't really ever recover from there. Actually, you know, Frappani gets a red card a little bit after that, and it was pretty pretty comfortable from there on out with from from Dallas which is interesting because it's kind of what Nashville did to them uh, the week before. So it's one of these things where sometimes where at this point of the season when a team gets punched in the mouth, uh, it's hard to kind of come back from because teams are tired, uh, they've been playing a lot of games, and that's just kind of what happened here with Minnesota. I wouldn't take too much into it going forward. I think it's, I think it's encouraging for Dallas that they can bounce back from a, a rough result the week before. Uh, you see some really nice finishing from Alan Velasco. I think he's been much better here the, the last few weeks than he was earlier in the season. Um, and so, yeah, I think for Dallas, it's encouraging from, from Minnesota. One of those, um, where, although they didn't particularly play well against Houston, uh, they, and they had a bad result against salt lake. Uh, they didn't particularly play very badly here. They just had a, a bad five minute run. Uh, I think you, you can bounce back from that in the, in the coming weeks.
2: Yeah, I, I I love that you mentioned uh, getting punched in the mouth, because there's another match that I, I definitely want to bring up a, a similar point on. Um, the only thing that gives me a little bit of concern with Minnesota this week is that I when you give up goal after goal after goal in quick succession, my question becomes, who are the leaders on the team to go ahead and really put a foot on the ball, get, get the game back under control, and... Uh, I believe it was last week that Bakai Divasi went out uh, with a pretty nasty looking injury. And I think that he's really one of those leaders on Minnesota. And so I, I'm just a little bit more concerned with him being out for, I I believe the rest of the season. I need to confirm that, but uh, it, it just gives me a little bit more pause now when we're looking at uh, Dallas and and I'm kind of, I also have uh, Matt Doyle's column up. It, really what they did very, very well in this match is that they put their players in this, in the positions to succeed. They're putting their midfielders specifically uh, where they're on their stronger uh, foot for more time. And that really unlocks people like Paxman and Pomichol, that unlocks Sebastian Legette, who we know can be difference makers in this league. So uh like to see that from Nico Estevez. Uh, we'll see how Minnesota can pull together in the future weeks.
0: Yeah, I mean, and for Minnesota, we know, as like I said earlier, they're a very strong team. They can rebound, and they certainly have the players to do that, you know, Reynoso leading the line. But Estevez, I think, in kind of relation to what we were talking about with the midfield and some of those conversations we had around the deadline with, like, the five midfielders that they had and, you know, how do they get their rotation right – I I think that he's kind of nailed it. Um, They've looked pretty good in recent weeks. LeJet seems to be, you know, coming in pretty well. Uh, He had two assists in this one, uh, and the up top seems to be flourishing still. Jesus Ferreira back on the score sheet, which we'd love to see both. um, If you're a Dallas fan, obviously, as U.S. fans, we'd like to see that as well. So for Dallas, you know, they don't often really dominate games, but they have the talent up top to get the goals like this and keeping it close um, on the road in Minnesota and kind of giving a back-and-forth first half, like you said, Andres, put them in position to do this, and obviously uh, Velasco and his certified bangers are are a sight to behold. Uh, Matt, do you have any more in this this game specifically? And I think, you know, with with Dallas, the story is kind of, we know what that is, but with Minnesota, um, as you were touching on there, moving forward, how do you kind of see them rebounding? And, you know, where do they see, where do you see them entering the playoffs? Because, I mean, they're
2: going to be in the playoffs. It it all depends on if they can go ahead and get this game out of mind pretty quickly here. Um, they've got Portland this weekend. Portland's hot right now. Uh, and Minnesota's kind of cooled off a little bit. So I'm really looking at that match to see if they can rebound, if they can start to really get um, good performances, specifically from Reynoso and from Robin Ludd. Uh, two just key, key players. So I'm still optimistic.
0: Yeah, as am I. Andres, yeah, thoughts on Minnesota moving forward, and you can kind of uh, finish up this game and we'll move on.
1: Yeah, I mean, DeBossi being out is, is going to hurt. Right now they're going to play, I guess, with Coleman as a second center back. Um, and, and we'll see if, how that holds up. Also, in this game, they had Will Trap in there. Uh, usually it's Ariaga who's been playing really well. So a, a few maybe question marks in the midfield and in the, in the defense and with Minnesota, kind of like with Nashville, um, they're so reliant on that one player to be special. And when he is, they're really good. And when he's, you know, okay, or or pretty good, then they struggle a little bit more. So that, that reliance on that one superstar to be good, uh, just kind of makes them more of a risk. And just before we really, we, we move on, just wanted to say, Sebastian Leggett's been really good. Uh, I know you guys mentioned it since he's been in Dallas, I think that free eight role uh perfectly suits him. Um it it brings out all of his kind of strengths and it's just been good to see him kind of rejuvenated uh the last few weeks since he's been in Dallas.
0: Yeah, and you know, I I only watched bits and pieces of this game. I, I watched like a few minutes stretch in the middle kind of in the second half and it was kind of remarkable watching Leggett. Like you said, a, a true free eight uh role playing almost touchline to touchline at times sometimes he was on the left he would work his way back so in that more free role um and and i think you no know, the the structure in new england works fine The the 442 diamond very centered midfielder is letting the outside backs get up is fine but with like you said it really caters to leje's skill set this uh 433 does that Estevez plays um and he's thriving like i said to assist in this game and he's been really good uh, since he's come Uh, into texas and dallas seem to be thriving so you know touching up on this game like i said uh we're gonna come out or come into this weekend with dallas in third 46 points on 30 games minnesota 44 points on 29 games so both those teams pretty tight there both those teams really uh i should see making the playoffs um at the end of the day so we can move on to a game uh between probably NLS's hottest team, if we're being honest, in Philadelphia uh, at the New York Red Bulls. As a Philadelphia fan, I'm confident in basically every game we go into at this point, but against the Red Bulls in New York, or in New Jersey, technically, um, it always just throws a little bit of doubt in your mind because the Red Bulls are really good defensively still, and that counterattack, maybe if Lewis Morgan turns on, if Lukinas turns on, they can really hurt a team. But for Philly... They went into the Red Bulls, uh, you know, the first half. And in the stalemate, Philly got their goals in the second half and head out of uh, New Jersey, I guess, with it. They had a 2-0 win. Really, really impressive stuff from the Union. I think we kind of run out of adjectives to describe this team at this point. Aura and Gazdai getting the goals. It's just incredibly, incredibly impressive because this is a team that's done it at home. Now they've done it on the road. They've done it scoring in bunches, still defending well. Matt, I don't know if you have any other words to describe this Philly team, but they just look really, really good right now, and a super scary outfit to come up against whoever you are in this league.
2: I, the the only real new adjective that I can add in there is now they're consistent, and we <laughs> we thought that the attack would eventually fall off, but it's still going entirely well. And this this match was one that I really kind of kept my eye on because. New York tends to find a way. They've been better away from their home or uh, home stadium most of the time. But um, what happened in this game was a couple of opportunities that New York had, but between Philly knowing when to foul or just getting really, really good play from Andre Blake from, from their two center backs, it just sets them up to succeed so well. Um, so it, New York had opportunities here, but they don't have the right person to go ahead and put those away. It's it's this played straight back into the storyline, so I think this was a a, a really really good match. Uh, definitely want to note um, uh, Drew Yearwood's lapse in judgment, uh, kicking the ball into stan- into the stands. Um, so it's uh, really really poor moment for the, for him, but uh, he put out an apology on Twitter, and it it seemed like he was pretty con- or, uh, committed to making that right. So good on him for that, but definitely unacceptable in the game right now. So, um, yeah. What, what, did you see anything else uh, specifically in this
0: game, Joey? Yeah, I mean, in terms of, I, I flipped this one on the second half and ooh, thankfully where the goals were. Um, and it was just the way that McGlynn plays first of all setting up uh setting up the first aura uh right after the stroke of halftime um is just it's levels above and I know I've talked about this kid a lot on the pod not really kid anymore I think he's like 19 or 20 years old but his his presence his ability to play any ball on either foot is just just it's levels above what I think any union player can do what most US players can do right now it's, it's something special, one to watch for the future. And I think, like you said, Matt, it's that consistency. Because as a Union fan, you know if this had been going on, and we know that we can play defense like this, we were able to play defense like this a year ago, two years ago. That was never the problem. And Andre Blake is a stud, Jack Elliott, Jacob Glesnes, Jose Martinez. You build from the spine, and good things happen. And the Union have seen, that, have seen the results of that even before this season. But adding in those players up top, seeing that come good in the last month, and then seeing in a game like this, off some rest, where, you know, you're going upstate to a, a good defensive team, right? Uh, or Rebels still have that spine that we've talked about in, you know, recent years with Yearwood in there, with Long in the back, and Sean Nealis and Cornell. It's a good team, but the Union were able to dismantle them in the second half. And I think that also goes to staying patient, which is something that when it got later in games, the Union would sometimes, you know, Union also often had to get a goal early and just defend and defend and defend. And Union now have the ability to wait and see what happens and make adjustments and still get goals, and that's something special. Andres, I know you didn't uh, watch this one, but I am interested in coming to you in in terms of how you see, um, I guess, Philly heading into the playoffs. They could—they already clinched the playoffs. I'm not sure if they can clinch the East this weekend, but we're kind of getting into that conversation where— Philly is just on another level in the East. Do you see any team in the East, you know, playing a game that could beat Philly, or do you think Philly, on their day, is just levels above anybody uh, in this conference?
1: I mean, in, in any sort of el- single elimination game, there's always a chance, right? There's always a chance that somebody keeps it nil nil, gets a good a, a good bounce off of set piece, and and kind of scrambles away. Uh, but it. it I think at this point it'd have to take something like that. In terms of who's playing the best soccer, who is the most uh, solid defensively, I think it's it's head and shoulders clearly Philadelphia above everybody else there. I think I'm looking through the remaining games, and even though they've only they've they've got a game less to play than LAFC and they're tied on points, based on the remaining schedule, you could argue that Philly should win the remaining four games. Um, and LAFC's got a, a tougher road in the last five. You, you might get a supporter shield out of this. Um, and they are six goal differential away from the all-time best goal differential in MLS history at this point. And I don't think anybody would have expected that. Even 15 games into the season, uh, I think we thought Philly was a good team. But we were talking about how they were struggling to get to turn draws into wins and to score more than a goal in a game and so on. Um, and it's just been incredible the last three months. So yeah, for sure, head and shoulders above anybody in the East, the only team with the top end talent, I think, uh, uh, to match them would have been New York and they've, they're, they're a mess. We could talk about them later. Um, so yeah, for sure. Can they be beat in a single game? I think anybody can, uh, but they have to be heavy favorites to make a MLS Cup at this point.
0: Yeah, very much agree. And just to touch up on that before we move on, because there isn't much more to say about this game. Um, Gazdog 18 goals. Carranza, 14 goals. Ora, 11 goals. And that's with him, you know, basically not playing good a good amount of games until beginning of May, you know, even late May and beginning of June. So super impressive, 43 goals from the Union's front three that they trusted uh, to provide them, and they've come in big, big time, especially in the last month or so. So for the Union, like you mentioned, Andres, it's 60 points on 30 games, uh, second in the league, first by a very long way in the East. Um, And then uh, for uh, Red Bull, sorry, it's 47 points through 30 games third in the east and fifth in the league and i guess now just while i'm thinking about it because uh open cup guarantees a ccl spot so congratulations orlando for getting into the ccl even though the supporter shield is very important as it pertains to playoffs and all that good stuff the top seed in the other conference that doesn't win supporter shield also goes to ccl so for the union just a little extra incentive to close out uh their run in the east and guarantee themselves a return trip to CCL after a year off. So, that's basically all we got on this game. I'll move on uh, to, I think, maybe the biggest game of the weekend, just in terms of result, is Nashville. um, Hosting Austin at Geodes Park, and first half, pretty back and forth, chances for both squads. But after Walker Zimmerman opened up the scoring and Hani Mutar grabbed too late, it was Nashville winning 3-0 and in the end convincingly over a very, very good Austin FC team. Andres, I'll start with you on this one. What does this say about Nashville as a squad, a team that had been fluctuating, had some highs, had some lows this season, but absolutely just put their stamp on a, a playoff spot, I think, and Hani Mutar with a great bid right now for MVP. What do you see in this game? I think it says
1: that Hani Mutar is probably the best player in the league right now, um, especially when he's on, uh, like he has been for the last month. Uh, he he destroyed Dallas uh, at home a couple, a couple weeks ago, and he you know did the same here to Austin. And he just gets in so many good spots. He's super silky on the ball. Uh, so dangerous all the time, and that's you know if Nashville can defend like they have in, in the past, uh, get set piece goals from Walker Zimmerman, and then when I, when when Hani's on, uh, you know there's a reason why that team has been pretty much uh, dangerous since they've come into the league, and Austin, you know I still have my my doubts here on them defensively. Uh, you know, since they beat LAFC and we sung their praises, they've struggled a little bit here. Um, and I think this this type of game is a type of game that shows that, that they can be had. Um, so interesting to see Nashville kind of turning the corner and Austin maybe with a little bit of a hangover after LAFC uh, sputtering a little bit.
2: I want to kind of touch a little bit on, on that. Um, if we... Agreed that, or we agreed a little bit that uh, Austin kind of showed the the template to go ahead and knock off LAFC. I think that Nashville did that to Austin. And because they scored their goals in a a couple of ways that I think is pretty repeatable. And specifically, Austin's set piece defending is very, very poor. Like, uh, I think Zimmerman had like eight feet run up free to go ahead and get the head get on to the first goal and you know if you can deliver decent service you're going to be running directly at their shorter players that's that's a problem for them cuz this also happened it, Nashville is also just lucky to have both Zimmerman and Romney who are massive aerial threats um, but I think that when you're starting to get into the playoff picture Austin needs to find a better way to defend set pieces. Uh, and then I am just kind of flabbergasted that possibly the best move of the most recent transfer window was Jacob Schaffelberg coming from Toronto and to Nashville, because he gives them the one thing that they've really, really lacked, which is just straight line speed and his ability to get back behind the opponent back or the opposing back line. And then just give his teammates a little bit of time to go ahead and get further up the field so that they're attacking with numbers has been really really helpful. He's looked so dangerous game after game after game. So, a couple of inspired moments from from Nashville here.
0: Yeah, I I'm really impressed with Nashville, man. I going to get Tim back on the pod. Uh, but kind of, you know, piggybacking off what I was talking about with Tim a while back and for what's worth you make extremely valid points. Um the Jacob Schaffelberg move in particular cuz in the first half he was really the one causing um you know trouble for Austin really up until the very end where they got or sorry until like the very end where i think it was the first half where Hani went to ground and there was a little scrum but besides that one play it was basically Schaffelberg on the left with his pace creating stuff and that was really impressive to see cuz It really been Shaq Moore that we were talking about as the revelation up to this point, knowing that he's a great defender and stepping into the side. But Schaffelberg, if he's able to add that aspect of pace, him and Alex Mule, who we know has it uh, as well on the right, and Hani being the playmaker, I think that that's a little secret weapon that this team can use. Because even when it was just Hani and CJ, they were a great team. If you add in Schaffelberg and that kind of verticality and that extra dimension, man this this Nashville team is a team to you know watch out for and especially with LAFC not being that team that was winning every game unstoppable anymore any team i think in really the top 5 in the west right we're talking LAFC Austin Dallas Nashville Minnesota i could see a path where they get to MLS cup just cuz on on their day i think each of those teams are really good and i think Nashville has deserved now a spot in that conversation after Fluctuating, I could say, in there for a of stretches of the summer, and for Austin, I think, yeah, you you mentioned a good thing about repeatable goals, Matt, and Austin. You know, I don't think it's an LAFC high, but they've certainly they have certainly shown that again. No team in this league is vulnerable, and certainly, you know, Austin is definitely vulnerable. Um, if they're able to stay around in that second uh, that second seed spot, which I think that they will, they're probably going to progress at least to the first round or two of the playoffs, just because. They will be playing, you know, little weaker teams at home. But the, the blueprint is out, and Nashville provided a big, big, big result that I think will have a lot of teams talking uh, for a while moving forward. Andres, I'll come back to you, and we can kind of start to wrap up our conversation on this game in particular. I guess when you see Nashville defending as well as they did, a few shaky moments, but in the end, really a pretty solid performance, what does this say to you about a team that, you know, at times this year has looked a little vulnerable in what we thought was their strong suit last year, which was that defensive the defensive side of the ball? And adding in Shaq Moore in particular, do you see this defense kind of back up there as one of the best in the league?
1: I mean, it, it always should have been, right? I think we were all kind of scratching our heads as to why why it wasn't. Um, and And the expected goals and the points out of expected goals always had them as sort of one of the unluckier teams in the league throughout the season. Um, There was some stats about how much pressure they put on the ball and so on. That was a little bit down. Um, But outside of inexplicably um, set pieces, they've always been one of the better uh, defensive teams. So I think, you know, they should be up there. Recently, it's turning the corner um, to be that again. And... It wouldn't be surprising to me if that's kind of the run that they go on, uh, because the talent is there, the structure is there, uh, and they've had the success in the past. Uh, there's there's really no reason why it shouldn't be.
0: Yeah, I'm, I, I agree with all that, and like you said, you know they had they dipped a little bit, but you know now that they're back, really they. Shouldn't have gone anywhere, and with the pieces that they have, Walker, we love him so much. He's such a good player. Uh, Matt, anything more? You know that natural defensive side of the ball, or just generally this game before we move on and you know keep this train chugging.
2: No, I, I actually I want to just take a look towards Austin for a second, and I'm I'm really interested what I'm going to be looking for really this weekend because they have now lost two on the trot. They need to go ahead and turn it around, and I need to see that come from the leaders within that team. So I'm really Looking to see, does Driussi have that level of game that makes me think? Oh, okay, no, they're they're fine. This was a blip, or is this going to be something that we're going to keep on seeing?
1: And they've got they've got Seattle, and we haven't touched on Seattle yet today. But there, Seattle got a win against Houston to to kind of stop the skid. They are, you know, just teetering on edge from basically being eliminated. So they're going to be absolutely desperate to get three points against Austin. So this is uh, a big test for, for Austin and also a huge game for Seattle. Um, so yeah, that's, that's probably one of the the bigger games coming up this weekend.
0: Yeah. Uh, and like we said, we haven't even really touched on the games coming up, but massive games. And, you know, I, I think both these teams are set up pretty well, but yeah, the galaxy uh, for Nashville and for austin it's sounders so and it's at sounders for what it's worth so both these teams have to keep rolling especially and i think we were mentioning this earlier when we were talking about austin and they're kind of run. it might have been after lafc they have rsl coming up they have Nashville again they have uh Van, they have vancouver and then they have colorado after this uh seattle game so all in all you know that's Two, maybe three teams of Vancouver still hanging around at the bottom of the line that could really pose a problem for Austin uh, coming uh, down the home stretch. So for them, they have to keep their head on their shoulders and continue to chug out the results that they were putting up very impressively over the summer. And for Nashville, just keep it going because for Nashville, they're eighth in the league. They are fourth in the West on 35 points, or, or sorry, 45 points to 30 games. And Austin, like I said, 51 points. Through 29 games, both these teams, MLS Cup contenders for sure. I think we can move on, lads, unless you have uh, anything else to throw in there. To the last game that we really want to touch on in full before we hit the Open Cup, which is the Canadian Classic. It provided a good one, a uh, but a not not all expected, not all unexpected uh, win for Montreal 4-3. It was the way in which they did it. A 4-3 result. Over Toronto at BMO, that provided some talking points. It was Lorenzo Insigne with two, and Federico Bernardeschi with a penalty for the hosts. And for uh, Montreal, it was Kamal Miller, Georgi Mihailovich, Kai Kamara, and Alistair Johnson getting the four goals that sent them over the top. So Matt, I'll start with you. What do you have on this game? And what a crazy game it was! Uh,
2: it's so much fun for the neutral viewer. I this this match was everything that you could expect from one of the best rivalries in MLS, in my opinion. Uh, and this is this is the match that I wanted to come back to. What happens when you get punched in the mouth? And Toronto was flying high, and they got punched in the mouth. Two goals in two minutes to go ahead and pull it, pull them back level, and then they completely collapsed. Um, and. Uh, all, a lot of credit needs to go to Montreal because they are so good at doing the little things and getting the absolute most out of, you know, very, very solid, but not, you know, we're not talking about Bernadeschi on their team. We're talking about Alistair Johnston. Um, there's there's just a lot to like, but I am looking at that Toronto back line. And I'm saying, what is going on, guys? Uh, and really, I'm particularly looking at at Chris Mavinga for Kai Kamara's goal to go ahead and give Montreal the lead. Uh, I, Joey, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that the scuffed term is he or Kai' little brothered Chris Mavinga. Um, yeah, correct, correct. Just, just out fought him. Like it, <laughs> Mavinga had position, he had uh, you know the the ball in a better spot, but he just completely lost out. And so there's just some mental errors that then become massive when you look down the line. And I'm, I'm even more concerned for Toronto, too, because at the end, after his, uh, you know, consolation goal at the end, Insigne pulled up lame. And that's effectively half of your goal production since both he and Bernadeschi started uh, playing regularly. So Montreal did the right thing. Got the win when they needed to. These games are always tough because it's a rivalry, it's heated. But Toronto, I they're just they're done. I I just don't see it. And that's a massive shame too,
0: because like we said, those two new signings, their two massive signings, have been producing every single game. Lorenzo and Senior two goals, Bernadeski another one. They've had impressive tallies up to this point as well, right? Like Bernardeschi's already on seven goals uh and senior it on six they've only played like what 10 games or something like that so they're scoring they scored three at home but you can't give up four and expect to make the playoffs and for montreal andres i think this is yet another example and this team is well-rounded they can defend not necessarily well in this game as they have in other games but up to this point like they let up one goal zero goals zero goals like the last three games they let up a combined one goal this is a team that can and obviously in this game scoring four, they can do it on both sides of the ball. What impressed you about this team? So
1: first on, on the Toronto side, we said a couple weeks ago we you know Toronto might win a couple games four three and lose a couple games four three and, and here it is. This was exactly what you could expect slash fear if you're a Toronto fan, is that you can score amazing goals and then just give up pretty bad ones right afterwards. Um, And it's, you know, exactly what you would have thought could happen. And they gave up all three, all three goals at the beginning, the first three that basically gave up the lead and and gave Montreal the lead were totally different. They don't get pressure on the ball. They get manhandled one on one. uh, They don't follow runners. um, And, you know, that's, that's rough because like you said, These guys are really producing on one end, but on the other hand, they can't—they can't keep them out. And with Montreal, it's—it's a combination of everything, right? It's structure, it's mentality, um, it's some skill, because you know Georgie's uh, second goal was hit on the laces. Oh, that was nice, beautifully. Um, And it's just—they're—they're one of those teams that can play together. um, And as you saw in this game, they react well to, to going down, which is not something they do very often, uh, tighten up, come back, um, and on the road, get a, get a win. So this is Montreal is one of those teams where, uh, maybe you look up and down the roster and you don't see, you know, all the stars. Um, you don't see maybe the high end attack, uh, but they score a ton of goals. Uh, They're decent defensively. I wouldn't put them in the top of the league defensively. Um, and they play together. Uh, kind of like the RSL uh, type way, but uh, with a little bit more more talent. Um, and, you know, with Mavinga, uh, as Matt was mentioning, you know, you could say, okay, he's in his early 30s, but Kai's 37. Um, and he completely manhandled him and outfought him. So it's been a problem for Toronto. I think you see some signs of where they could go next year uh, if they keep that group together. It's not happening this year. I think that's clear. Uh, but they're going to have to make some some changes that you know in the midfield and and at the back uh, in order to be competitive next year.
0: And I think you know some of those changes could be you know just reconfiguring the way what like, they already have. Like they played Akello in the midfield in this game uh, and Jay Nelson as well. Jay Nelson's a youngster coming on. I like him a lot. Michael Bradley can still ping a ball. Mark Anthony K. Oh, so they have the pieces. It just hasn't quite merged. And I think, and this was kind of my thoughts, like when they got those, you know, two, three kind of massive signings all from Italy, is like, okay, this this is a really talented team. Bringing K. as well, we know this is a great team, and at least on paper, but you're essentially giving them next to no margin of error to do it. You're giving them what, a month, two months to gel before they really have to be firing on all cylinders if they want to just make the playoffs, like get in the seventh seed. And so I think this is a team that, like, when you get them together next year, I think will be a playoff side pretty easily because of the talent that they have on the field. This year, they just couldn't pull it together in time. But I think that's all right. I think if they don't do it next year, obviously questions will be asked. But right now, you're not happy, but... Like they, they dug themselves a hole, a, a pretty big hole. Um, and I guess now for Montreal moving forward, they are second in the East. They're third in the league, uh, eight points behind the Union with one game uh, in hand. What do you think that this team is capable of moving forward? Do you think that they are the second best team in the East, first of all, Andres? And second of all, do you think they have what it takes to challenge and really hold off the pack beneath them? Because, I mean we're looking at the next team. It's the Red Bulls, five points below them with a, one game played more than they do. So I think Montreal is pretty set right now in the second seed. Do you think that they have what it takes, Andres?
1: So I think we had this discussion a couple of weeks ago. Um, I think they're going to finish second. I'm not sure. You know, they shouldn't be the second best team. Let's put it that way. Um, but they're playing like the second best team. And until they stop doing that or until one of these teams, be it, you know, Columbus or NYC, um, maybe even New England kind of step up their performances, um, then you have to have them as, as second favorites. Um, I, I'd be surprised to see them in, M- in MLS Cup because I think they're a, a good team that's kind of built for the regular season rather than, you know, getting that one-star player that can put in two or three goals in a playoff match. Um, but right now, nobody else is stepping up to take that place outside of Philly. So you have to have them as second right now, if by default, let's say.
0: I can hear that argument, yeah. And like, we, like I mentioned with the points, it's basically set in stone. Like, Rebels will have to pull something off, and Montreal will have to you know, slip up if they don't want to be the second seed, which means that they will get the seventh seed and home field advantage Uh, until uh, what that would be the conference final, if it would be the Union. If it's not the Union, then they would have home field advantage all the way through the East. So, the second seed provides many perks, and uh, Montreal will be having to take them if they can just basically hold on to the form that they're in. Matt, yeah, uh, thoughts on Montreal as we head into the playoffs, and I guess you can final thoughts on this game before we move on.
2: Yeah, I love this game. It was really, really fun. Uh, It was, again, all about uh, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. They'll, old, they go old old Mike Tyson. Um, with, uh, with Montreal moving forward, I have just a little bit more concern because, uh, basically everybody in the field, or everybody, all of their field players, I like quite a bit, you know, I, I think Kyoto can be a little bit streaky at times, but he's been consistent this season. I think that, uh, Camacho has a penchant for a bad foul every now and then, but he's been, on the field, basically the entire season. My only concern is they've had some pretty poor goalkeeping. Um, And I, that that's a little bit harsh, but you know, when we're talking about fine margins, this is, this is the margin. Um, And so I'm, I'm, I just need to speak it into existence. We know that Sean Johnson is going to be a free agent next season uh, or this at the end of this season, actually. So, uh, you know, Sean Johnson, you want to move up to Montreal? That could be really, really fun. Um, And then in the future, them trying to find a way to uh, replace Georgia Mihailovic after he uh, finishes his move to Azad Alkmaar is going to be difficult because he's special.
0: Yeah, we know your nice little fan fiction there with Sean Johnson and Montreal. If that happens, that would be wild, honestly. But, I mean, it's a good point you bring up. And regardless of who, you know, if they, if they could go after Sean Johnson, if any team could go after Sean Johnson, bar maybe three or four teams in the league, go ahead and do it. Uh, I'm sure that um, Johnson, if he's not locked in on nyc would certainly listen to an, a montreal offer because they have pretty enticing prospects right now um good point though with georgie leaving what will that look like next year i think that's a cross that bridge when we come to a scenario right now for montreal because they have as good a shot as anyone in the east to you know face the union and like you said andres one game scenarios anything can happen so unless you have more in on this one andres i think i'm pretty happy to move on And a couple quick hits. I'm going to keep these at, I don't know, three, four minutes per game. We'll start with the Galaxy and SKC, your team, Matt, as a crazy game, came down to literally the final seconds, but they held on. Do you want to take us through how this one went?
2: Uh, This one was a heart stopper the entire time. Um, We we don't really have to hit the entire game. It was back and forth because neither of these teams can defend. um, But... uh, the Galaxy get get one goal from penalty uh they or actually both teams get one goal from pen, uh, penalty um Chicharito finishes off a really really nice goal in the first 5 minutes or so uh Felipe Hernandez just outworks again uh the the Galaxy backline uh and then chicharrito pulls up with the Penenka for basically a spot in the playoffs like that's that this is what separates you know them in portland from the the seventh spot in the west i cannot understand what was going through teacher mind on that one so uh i don't know what what do you guys do you guys have any uh thoughts on a good old-fashioned panenka pen
0: no i saw uh michele giannone's tweet uh a sideline reporter for 2DNA. We love him. Um, and it was a good point that he brought up that like Chicharito is one of those guys who will go over and explain to him exactly what was going through his mind after the game, wasn't you know blowing off everyone. So I think at least in terms of his character, that speaks to his character. I think in terms of the actual penalty, generally keepers dive. I think is that's the thought. Like generally that keeper goes one way or the other, and Penanca penalties don't often happen because. Just hitting it really hard to a corner is a great way to score a penalty. But if that keeper dives either direction, it's probably a goal. Andres, any thoughts on the Penenka's, um any thoughts on this game?
1: Uh, yeah, there's this, there's stats going around. I, I've seen them in the past that basically penalties down the middle have the highest chance of of scoring because of what you mentioned where if the keeper just moves, it's it's a goal. People don't miss off to the side if you're going down the middle. But uh, players don't take them down the middle because of exactly what happened with Chicharito. You miss down the middle and everybody, you know, says, what are you thinking? I can't imagine, you know, going, you know, down the middle when it's so easy to put it in the corner. Um, So basically it's the criticism that scares them off the best probability. And we saw that exactly happen, right, this weekend. So, yeah, that's, those are my thoughts. I understand where Chicharito, I, it's unfortunate that it happens for him because, if it wasn't for Chicharito, the Galaxy would have never been in the position to to win that game. Um, so it's unfortunate the the criticism that comes after the fact, but understandable because it, it looks pretty bad when you watch it, right? That you kind of just kind of hit it softly and goes right into into cam's arms. So. Fortunately for the Galaxy, they needed those three points. I think they're going to struggle to get above Portland and Seattle might make a run here. So we'll see where, where that goes. Uh, Sporting's played a lot better the last month or so. So um, even though it's way too late to do anything, I think it's it's encouraging
2: uh, going into next year at least. Yeah, it's, it's really nice. It, it shows what can happen when your striker is goal dangerous and thus... People actually have to step to him so that there is more space for both the wingers and through the midfield in, uh, you know, Agata coming in, Tommy coming in. Really, really good signings gives me a little bit of hope for next year, but we we shall see.
0: Yeah, we shall see. But, you know, not being last is there's something in that. And uh, and like you mentioned, for the Galaxy sitting eighth right now, two games in hand over Portland, who's that seventh seed right now. Three points back of them, uh, one game in hand over RSL for what it's worth, and three points back of them as well. With Seattle uh, hanging just beneath the Galaxy, uh, so yeah, it should be an interesting race. We talked about that. The six, seven, eight, nine seeds are all up for grabs as we head into the last, you know, five, four or five games of the season. Uh, but you know, for SKC, Matt. Just before I move on, it, like Andre said, like you said, it is. It's better. There's stuff to look forward to next season. Agata looks good. You know, Schally and Russell, we know, are stalwarts, but Tommy in the midfield, too, adding him in, hopefully getting Kinda back. Polito. we'll see what happens there. You start to get those players back, and it starts to be a team that we can see going back to those SKC levels, which we know is playoff team, contender, that kind of stuff. So I think positive.
2: Yep, yep. Uh, and I think, you know, the big news for sporting fans this week was uh shall we re-signing for another 4 year contract so that's you know one eh, like the the fourth best uh free agent off the board um that, there's there's stuff to like next season that that front side is going to be packed um and trying to get all those players minutes is going to be difficult but they that's a significantly better problem problem to have than we've had this year
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um with you on that one okay we can move on i think and let's hit uh let's hit two more games how about that revs beat nycfc 3-0 at home uh for the revs is a massive win that uh you know keeps their playoff hopes very firmly alive only one point back on, on an even number of games with fc cincinnati uh massive massive for them i think for nycfc they're still basically locked in as the four seed. They have to continue to not be, you know, not be at their best to continue to slip. I don't think it'll happen. I think they'll stay in the fourth, maybe fifth zone, but they haven't won in uh, the last four games. It's three losses and a, uh, sorry, yeah, 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 Um, uh, up until this point, it's been uh, three losses and a draw in the midweek versus uh, FC Cincinnati. That game happened. We're not going to talk about that. We're probably going to stick on the, the uh, Revs game. But they dominated possession, didn't get a goal, and gave up the goals on those like quick counterattacking opportunities. Uh, and man, Matt, I don't know if you saw this game, but it continues to ask questions of why can't this team score goals? Because when you have 65% percent possession, why doesn't this happen?
2: Hey, hey. <laughs> Solving NYC is a pretty big question at this point in time. Like, I, you talked about no wins in the last four. We're talking five points out of the last 27 available. Uh, this team is really, really bad right now. And my bigger uh, question is, um, how, how do they stop getting scored on? Because that's they've been pretty poor defensively. And we know that they have quality back there. Uh, So I, NYC, I, I just have no confidence in anymore. And it's, it's really unfortunate because they were incredible for the first half of the season. It's literally the only reason that they have um, a pretty solid spot in the playoffs at this point in time.
0: Yeah. I'll keep going back to that stretch of games where they didn't lose for like two straight months. And now, yeah. uh, Andres, yeah, you want to touch on that? You said worst team in the league since August first. I'm assuming by points. What do you see in this one? Um, you can hit NYCFC first, but also I would like you to touch on the Revs before we can move on because this was a very good performance from the Revs in terms of the way they managed game state and stuff. And you know, moving forward, this is a team that has really rebounded since their first half. Kind of a you know a, a two sides of the coin in terms of the two teams in this game
1: yeah so with with nyc what i they are the worst in terms of points since august 1st not not just a mediocre not just bad the absolute worst team in the league in terms of points in more than a month and i think out of all the stats that you, you can come up with mls that's probably one of the more shocking ones considering uh this is defending mls cup champions first place in the east, easily after CCL, um, and with with the amount of talent that they that they have on that team, uh, that's that's pretty incredible. in in this game, and, and recently, really, they've they've had a lot of injury issues. um they've they've switched to a three in the back system. Um, somehow they were playing Tavon Gray as left center back in this game rather than what he's come on as a right back or a right wing back. Um, they, they were missing basically, uh, Collins and, and Tiago Martins, um, half of their midfield. Uh, they didn't start with Talis Magno. It's just kind of like a really weird uh, lineup. And even, even so they still created a good amount of chances and just missed, them. Petrovic was really, really good. So shout out and credit to, to, to Petrovic to, for keeping them out. But they also, um, had a couple sitters that they, that they, you know blasted over the net or or wide and it was similar two nights ago against cincinnati they had 17 shots in the first half um and scored a goal but but just aren't finishing their their chances um and they got their defense guys back they got Thiago martin's um and collins back on wednesday and martin's had a a horror game he passed the ball into the back of his own net in the first half for the first goal and then gave up a dog so a red card in the in the second half so it's it's a mixture of everything it's injuries it's a change to the formation it's a change to their style of play and it's primarily finishing because the chance creation has been much better uh, but they're not finishing them um, and part of that is not having Tati and part of that is good players not finishing so that's kind of where I'm at with NYC, and hopefully they could turn it around because they are a-, a dumpster fire right now, to be honest. Um, New England was was pretty good. Um, they played with John Bell as a left back, and because Brandon Bye was out, and he played really well. And they're still missing a couple guys. They're still missing Veroni um, and Barrero. Uh, but you know, this is the type of New England team that you would expect to to see out games, even if they weren't super great defensively in the first half. Uh Petrovic kept them kept them in a in a clean sheet and then they basically comfortably saw the game out the whole second half. So encouraging from them and if they get Barrero and Veroni back, uh they can be a lot more dangerous.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um those pieces if they had them back in, I I think this team is a team that I could see in the playoffs. And I could see, you know, challenging in a first round game or so because when you add in good attacking pieces to, you know, great defense, like you, um, and Matt, you were saying this recently. and I, I think it does ring true that Pekovic is one of the top keepers in the league right now. You know, he's, he's playing unbelievably. This is a team that, you know, it can pose challenges and could pose a threat in the playoffs, uh, to, uh, Montreal or Red Bulls. We'll see who it is. Um, they still have, you know, room to go need to get up, uh, into that seventh seed, at least only a point back, like I mentioned. And, uh, As it pertains to NYCFC, 46 points to 30 games, four points up on Orlando with two games played more than Orlando. So room for Orlando and Columbus beneath them to start to make moves on NYCFC. But we know this team is special and if they can come back to their potential, uh, this is a team that can challenge any team in this league. So see what happens there and move on to the last game. I really want to do quick hits on before we move on to Open Cup, and that is LAFC over RSL. A pretty... I'm not going to say a boring game, but a pretty, you know, normal game. Nothing a ton to talk about except for the fact that it is LAFC kind of getting back in a better form, playing a playoff side in RSL and beating that playoff side. Andres, do you want to roll right into that one?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, on the one hand, kind of maybe workmanlike, you know, they coming off of three bad results in a row, they really needed it. This is their only home game in like a month. Um... Bank of California was super amped, really good atmosphere for it, and Dennis Buanga got his uh, first start and looked really active and and looked looked like he could be pretty dangerous in this league. So I I think you saw right away what they see in him, um, and yeah, you know, much better defensively. Uh, Chiellini gets a start here, played pretty well. Murillo was was solid, um, bouncing back from from that Austin. Uh, nightmare so this is one of those games where a good team uh, at home has a pretty good performance and kind of sees out a pretty standard 2-0 win Um, but the the big thing here is Buanga getting the start LAFC getting back on track um, because they were they were struggling there for a little bit so good for them to get back we'll see how they do on the road here the next couple games but uh, a, a needed result for them
0: so i mean for rsl i don't think there's a ton to touch on unless you want to touch on just a little bit more but i I think for them normally you're gonna lose on the road at lafc so it would have been more of a shock to see them you know produce some result than you know then i don't know them come in and lose a normal two nothing soccer game in which lafc are adding even more pieces to that are already kind of stacked lineup so unless you have more than that andres i think i'm pretty happy to move on um I do want to touch on. Uh, we, that was a very quick hit, and, but I'm glad we were able to touch on that one, just because we have been talking about the downfall of LAFC. But Andres, I, I guess just a one-word or two-word answer. You think that they're they're back, top of the uh, West, top of the league, kind of ready to go?
1: Mm, not quite. I think okay. uh, they're not. There. It was still wasn't overwhelming. Uh, it was it was decent. It was better. Uh, they need to. They need some time to gel some of those pieces together, um, and figure out how they're going to play with, especially that whole group of Vela, um, Bowanga, Opoku, Bale, Arango. How all that group is going to is going to work together. Um, I think it's better, but they're not quite where they were uh, just yet. We'll see a couple a couple more performances, um, a little bit higher end, and and then I'll be ready to say that.
2: Yeah. Just a really quick question on this. Uh, so I'm just looking at the expected goals based on the the thought mob uh, figures. Uh, LaFC three, but RSL being di- like way way down at two, uh, .29. In your opinion, was that more RSL struggling to actually create chances? Is it more of an RSL issue, or was LaFC actually just better at stopping that before it became a really good opportunity? What what what, what do you think?
1: I think LAFC was, was better. Um, I think ourselves tends to struggle to create chances out of regular run of play, anyways. Um, usually it's coming off of the other team attacking. They get the ball out of a corner or, or turnover, hit a big switch, and off to the races. Um, they didn't really have that opportunity against LAFC. And then, you know, Sifuentes and Elia were really good in the middle. Um, Latif also. So, yeah, I'm not sure this is. Uh, super indicative of RSL, that's kind of the way they play anyways. Uh, I think most of their XG comes of one or two chances in transition for Cordova or, or Savarino, um, and they, they didn't really get them. LAFC didn't didn't really give them any opportunities here.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And I, I mean, I think LAFC are a team that we trust defensively. We, we know that they have those credentials in crepeau and Net that they can stifle teams. I think the thing that You had a little bit of doubt on Andres, myself as well. They haven't been doing that recently. So, yeah, I mean, a a good win. Have to see where where they can, you know, continue this momentum. But a good side uh, in LAFC and RSL. Now really in the fight for the playoffs, fighting kind of for their lives, trying to maintain that spot. I think they will, but we'll see. I want to move on uh, very quickly before we hit on Open Cup for a bunch of minutes and then, you know, wrap this thing up. Pablo Nagamura uh, got fired after his uh, first year in charge in Houston. Pat Onstad, the GM, remains. For a Houston team that had been up and down and then basically down for the last couple months, I'm not sure if this is a massive surprise, but in a way, to me at least, it is surprising how quickly they cut bait on such a young coach who has promise in this league. I think I'm just going to hit you, Matt, just for time, and just because I don't think I want to delve into this as deep and the Houston problem as deep right now. We can touch on that maybe even on its own in a later episode, but what are your thoughts on uh, the fa- the firing of Nagamura and where Houston goes from here because they seem to now have thrust themselves back into
2: a little bit of a mess. I think that I come down on it just mostly concerned for the plan. Like, uh, Nagamura was playing like a coach, or Nagamura's team was playing like a team who needed to have a, a coaching change. Now, in in Onstad's um, comments afterwards, you know he he brings up the fact that uh, Jesse Marsh had a really tough run at his first job as a, a you know top league head coach. Uh, so I, I'm trying to remember who the other example he brought up. I use Greg Berhalter. Um, but he's mentioning that at the same time as he's firing the people that he thinks could have that kind of change in in accomplishment it's it's just it's kind of all over the place, and I struggle to think that it's an okay decision to have hired him then because it they don't have a playoff caliber roster they they there's just there's there's something missing for me like it I think that this is much more indicative of. Houston being poorly run, and if I'm a, a coach considering moving to the Houston job, this gives me pause. This this tells me this team is a little bit. They have a short leash, and it it, it just gives me the wrong feeling. I, I'm I'm bummed for Nagamura. I like him a lot. I think he's a really really good, uh, really good person. But I'm I just I don't think that I would want this job.
0: Yeah, I, I think this team has questions to answer, and we've talked about this multiple times. They have Coco Karaskia, they have Vera in the midfield, who I like a lot. They have pieces dotted around. Tim Parker maybe still is kind of that veteran presence. They and uh, I think teenage Hidabie as well in the back. Like they have players who I like in this league and have promise. Sebas Ferreira up top. Um, it, it just it hasn't it hadn't gelled this year. And then cutting bait on Nagamura makes it so that I'm not sure it has the potential to gel until maybe you know midway into next season because the coach has to come in, has to see what it's like in an actual game because you can't really simulate actual gameplay unless you actually play the games. So it's going to take time there. And this Houston team might be set back longer than if they just kept Nagamura and continued. I trust Pat that, and he's a smart man. I think he will make the right decision regarding this. But I think this... It was a surprise, certainly, to see what happened here. But I think all those points are kind of well taken and jumbled them up. And I think you probably get some kind of a picture of where Houston's at right now. But I guess if we're going to transition here into a team that is, you know, riding pretty high right now, kind of the opposite of Houston, it's Orlando. It's a team that just won the United States National Championship. It's a team that is going to CCL for the first time ever. The first piece of silverware they have ever gotten. And man, what a way to do it. It looked really tight. Sacramento Republic, the USL Championship side, the Cinderella team who had already beaten three MLS teams, came out really strong. I loved the game plan. I really loved the game plan. Uh, And it was working through the first 75 minutes, but Orlando made some subs and uh, including Benji Michelle, and that really changed the game. Starting at the 75-minute mark, Facu Torres scored, uh, broke the deadlock 1-0, scored a penalty five minutes later, and Benji Michelle tapped one in uh, at the end of stoppage time in the second half to make it three goals in the span of about 20 minutes and the, US, and the US, United States National Championship to Orlando. Andres, I'll start with you. How do you see this one play out? What a game and what a night for Orlando.
1: Yeah. So first of all, congratulations, Orlando City first trophy in team history. Um, So that's, that's awesome. Uh, Good on them for, for taking care of business and, and getting that done at home. And I thought the game was, I, I think pretty typical of a, of a cup final, especially one where the underdog is on the road. So pretty tight uh, pretty cagey not not very open uh some tough challenges coming in from from sacramento early on to kind of set the tone um and i thought you know they played compact they they stayed behind the ball you know it wasn't like a full-on bunker but definitely no no risk being taken and not a ton of risk being taken either by orlando so that's kind of the story of those first 75 minutes right not not a whole lot of open chances coming through. And I think you're right with, with the subs, uh, changing the game. And it's this thing with it, that first goal, you know, Sacramento has the ball in the midfield, um, and it and I have this thing with playing backwards or with playing out of the back, especially when you're trying not to take any risks, you know, they, they play the ball backwards to the center back. Um, I forget which center back it was uh, and Orlando has good pressure on them causes a turnover uh, shout out to Benjamin Michelle for amazing pressure there to, to cause that turnover and that's what leads to the first goal if they just boot the ball upfield there they're probably going 0-0 for you know a, another sequence or two so that's that's kind of unfortunate that that happened that way. Uh, but ultimately, probably Orlando deserves it based on the overall performance. Uh, it's just, you know, unfortunate Sacramento couldn't hold on for another 15 minutes because uh, they
2: were doing pretty well up to, up to that point. How did you guys see it? I saw pretty similarly. Uh, when, or for that uh, first period that you were talking about, I was actually really confused by Orlando because nobody seemed up for it. I think literally the only player who has like, oh, they're they're having some impact on the on the match was Ivan uh, Angulo. Um, there there just did not seem to be anybody who was confident enough to make a, or make a, a an actual challenge to really try and do something. And I, I get that that's you know kind of how cup competitions work, but. This one I, I if you can't be up for a game this is not the game to be to miss out on so uh down the or er, further throughout that um Facundo Torres had himself a night he was electric once the the play really opened up following uh Michelle coming on because uh like you said his pressure was so so good created space and the next thing you know it just gives them opportunities to move forward so credit to credit to orlando and uh, yeah we'll see
0: yeah a hundred percent uh credit to orlando i i do want to just hit on this though because i think you guys i mean there's not much to touch on in terms of orlando it's a team that should have won this game had all the fans had everything going their way and they did but I, I do really the the game plan from Sac Republic. They had legitimate, legitimate chances in this game, right? To score goals, and they defended well. At times, they were on the front foot. Andres worked so well in their game plan through the first seventy five minutes, and like I feel, they deserve a lot of credit, and regardless.
1: Oh yeah, they totally deserve credit. I thought to to Matt's point, I thought part of it was that they were they were definitely up for the game. Uh, you could see it in the first ten minutes. I thought there was a couple of really strong challenges put in on Pereira, uh, just kind of to put in, you know, let let Orlando know that they were they were in for a game. And you know, they they did well to absorb pressure, uh, get the ball out to the wings, and, and try to hit some diagonals in between the center backs, uh, which which led to some some half chances. Um, but you know, it wasn't a whole lot of build up or anything i just thought their energy was really was really good and their structure was really good Um, and that's usually a a good recipe as long as you aren't turning the ball over in in your own third so that's kind of what i saw from sac republic i haven't seen a ton of them it's not you know there's way too much soccer right right now if you try to keep up with a bunch of mls it's hard to watch usl so i didn't know a ton about them uh going in um and they were definitely impressive in the way that they handled themselves on the field um, and it made for a really competitive match, even though they were across the country and on a midweek. So for sure, uh, their energy uh, was impressive, considering that that fact. So well on them, but Orlando was just that that little bit better, especially in the last twenty five minutes
2: if If I'm a, a MLS side that you know needs somebody who can actually make a run in beyond the or behind the back line. I'm I'm looking at Malik Foster pretty hard because he was fun to watch in this match, like just constantly pestering the back line, putting on pressure and then giving an outlet to his teammates. So really, really fun. I think he, he was probably the, the best performer from uh, the Sacramento side.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I really can't disagree with anything that you said, and I kind of gave my thoughts at the beginning, I guess. Final, final thoughts on what was a crazy year in Open Cup, guys. We loved this competition for a reason. Uh, I guess, Matt, uh, one minute. Best thing of Open Cup, why you love Open Cup?
2: Oh, it's, it's got to be the storylines of uh, lower division sides making runs. I know here in Nebraska, the fact that Union Omaha made a run in this competition actually made news, and, and to have soccer in the middle of this country making waves Did not expect that. That was really, really cool. Some, uh, it's, it's the, the, the storyline for the, for this year's open cup has to be lots of good runs from lower league sides. Awesome. Yeah,
0: I completely agree. And Andres, like I said, uh, why we love this tournament, what you thought was awesome this year and kind of wrapping up our thoughts on, you know, what was open cup in the 2022 edition, Orlando now going to CCL as a result.
1: Yeah. So I think, I think Matt's points is the right one, right? It's the, it's the lower division sides, but if we're going to you know, take that as a given and may, maybe find something else, a, a couple of things is one, it always gives an opportunity for a team that's not having a good season to, to make a run and go for something. Um, in this case, it was sporting this year. It's been Houston in other years. Um, so that's, it's always good for, for a team to find something to hang their head on. Um, so that's one. And, and then in the end, As a MLS centric podcast, um, it's gotta be Orlando finally getting over the hump and getting into a trophy. They made the semi-final the last time that this, this, uh, competition was played. Uh, they've been a pretty good team now under Pareja for a few years, um, to finally get over that hump and, and get a trophy. Uh, that's, that's, that's good for them. And, you know, something that regardless of what happens, even though I think they still have plenty to play for here in MLS. Um, getting into CCL and getting a trophy in their trophy case, that's, uh, that's already a good season for them.
0: Yeah, it's a great season for them. For me, it's just for a country without a ton of, you know, experience and history and soccer relative to other nations, to have this tournament be as old as it is, I think first played in 1916 or something along those lines, and seeing all these, uh, you know, low division sides, sides that we wouldn't normally get to see, you know, play up against the big boys in a competition that's comparative to other you know, major cup competitions in the world, and a competition that gives a Champions League spot. A, a lower division side has a chance to challenge for, you know, in, in America where you can't, you know, there's no promotion, you can't uh, get to CCL through MLS. They, ha- they have a chance to get a CCL spot, a Club World Cup spot, through this tournament. That's something massive. That's something awesome. And that's why I love this tournament. But, yeah, thank you guys so much and your thoughts throughout this entire pod. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be back next week, probably more midweek uh, this time. Sorry about the delay in the pod with a uh, with another pod. one uh, to wrap up this weekend of ML- or this coming weekend of MLS. So many uh, amazing matchups As we head even closer to the playoffs, it'll be so much fun. And I really just enjoy talking soccer with both of you gentlemen. And so, listeners, thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Enjoy life, enjoy the beautiful game, and we'll see you then.